Hey, everybody. Welcome to the FO Football Outsiders live stream, live streaming on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. Hey, we're here every weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern, and Monday is our weekend wrap-up show, and I am joined, as always, by Ian O'Connor from Edge Sports. We're going to talk about Week 7 in the NFL. If you are watching us live, be sure to ask comments in the chat. If you're on YouTube or Twitch, please like and subscribe to the show. And if you're listening afterwards on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, hi, thank you for subscribing to the show. Please give us a five-star review so more people can find the show. If you uh, leave a review on the show, we're going to read it on the air next time. Don't forget you can get all of our Football Outsiders data analysis and fantasy tools with FO Plus for just $4.99 a month. It is a great value that will be helpful throughout the remainder of the season and beyond, especially uh, as we get towards the end of the season and we have a lot of data. It really helps with your picks. It really helps with your bets. It really helps with your fantasy, with the fantasy projections. And uh, yeah, let's talk about week seven and the uh, most interesting game of this week. It was not a weekend with a lot of close games, but I thought the most interesting game of the week was the Lions and the Rams. All that talk going into this game about the quarterback battle between Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford. But what really caught my eye was Detroit using what we call David strategy, which is the idea that when you are the big underdog, you need to run plays with a very high risk, high reward, because you're going to need those high risks to hit the high reward in order to actually beat your opponent. And they did that with a surprise onside kick and two fake punts. Yeah, that was seeing the, the start of that game was just kind of crazy. They had the, the third and long. Um, the the path, I think it was kind of a dump off to DeAndre Swift that ended up breaking a couple tackles, taking it for a touchdown. Uh, then to come back with the onside kick, I'm sitting there kind of running, running things through all the games and I hear onside kick and look up and Detroit's got it. But yeah, those first few before getting into some of the decisions and like big plays, um, some of the numbers that I pulled this morning from those, the onside kick increased their win probability by 8.1%. The first fake punt, we, our model actually slightly agreed with that decision to go for it. It was like plus 0.4%, very close. Um, typically, you know, we think it's better to keep the ball in the hands of your, your ball handlers, your quarterbacks, running backs, things like that. But there is still something to the element of surprise. Uh, right. They it's, went, it's, it's hard to do analytics on fake punts because yep. so often fake punts are about that you saw something about how the other team's punt coverage plays on film and you found there was a weakness that you could exploit. Mm -hmm. And that's why you call the fake punt. And so analytics can't really do a breakdown of where the Rams put their gunners you know, right. to, to figure out like where, uh, not their gunners, but their, you know, their, their punt return blockers, mm -hmm. like to figure out whether it's right to do a fake punt in that situation. Yeah. And it's really hard too. We've had people ask us before, and I'm sure you've gotten it of what is the, you know, expected conversion rate of a fake punt or field goal. It's so hard. There's so few of them, the sample size, even over the course of, you know, the history and as, as the kind of the game changes, it's just, there's so few to really get a meaningful amount. And like you said, to your point, it's more of a strategy versus just what do the numbers say? Uh, it's more picking up on those things that the numbers can't account for. But that first one um, converted, they added almost 8%, 7.7% on that one, uh, went on to take the lead. And then later we disagreed with the one later on. It was a fourth and eight, I think at their own 35. 
um, prior to the snap. Again, not accounting for surprise, all that kind of stuff. Um, thought it was around almost a 3% error at 2.7%, but they converted and added another 11.2%. So looking at to around 27% added on those three plays. So really cool to see, you know, and we kind of talked about it earlier, even though they had a lot of breaks go their way, they still ended up losing by nine. You know, coming in as 16 and a half point underdogs, uh, but they did what they could to, to stay in it. Um, so a couple of the, the big plays now getting into some of the decisions, those impactful plays that we talk about. Um, early in the, um, or about halfway through the third quarter, facing fourth and one on the Rams 19 to 18. This was after the uh, second fake punt that the Lions had. Um, they chose to go for it um, instead of kicking the field goal just to go up to a lot of time left. Uh, but Campbell, as we saw, you know, has been aggressive all year, chose to go for it. They didn't convert, but the fact they went for it increased their win probability about 3.9% prior to the snap. That was our fifth best uh, go of the week, our fourth, fifth right. best fourth down go. <clears throat> Graphic went um, up a little early there, guys. We want to take that down. Thank you. And so then um, coming into later that quarter, the Rams had the ball. This was just a few minutes later. I, I do left. want to point out first, before you yeah. go on to later that quarter, that play where the Lions shows the difference between doing analytics on the go decision and the play call. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of times where analytics people will favor the go and not the play call itself. The Lions ran the exact same play that had been stuffed on third and one. They were like, well, that didn't work. Let's try this same thing again. And they hurried yep. to the line and they ran the same play and it didn't work the second time. And DeAndre Swift got stuffed a second time, which is interesting because Jamal Williams is the running back that you would normally associate with a short yardage attempt. Mm -hmm. So we like the go for it call, not necessarily the play call. And we get that a lot too on Twitter, as I'm sure you do when we say, you know, we like their decision here. You know, it was the right decision to go for it. They didn't get it and kind of some pushback. Oh, well, the, the play call was terrible. It's like, we've, you know, I probably don't disagree with you. Um, you know, our model does spit out a pass versus rush. Um, in some or in every case on which one, you know, gives the higher win probability, even if they go for it when it comes to those numbers, assessing it after the fact, even if we say the pass is better and they choose to run or vice versa, we'll assign them that higher, whatever the best is, because when it comes to actual play call, you know, it, that's that's not our job. It's just right. no, looking at the decision. Different kinds of passes and different kinds yep. of runs. Yeah. So, but yeah, we definitely don't have the play call. And that was not not the optimal play call. Um, as far as the play that they ran, as you said, it was the exact same play and just got stuffed twice in a row. It was really a, a turning point there in that game, I think, because, you know, they had already converted that second fake punt. Um, they're going down instead, you know, instead of taking the field goal, they're going for the touchdown, obviously, which is the smart play. Don't get it. Later in the same quarter, the Rams have the ball. Uh, third quarter, four minutes left. They had fourth and one at the Detroit 46. So they moved it a little bit, but, but got stopped a little bit uh, just beyond midfield chose to go for it, also playing aggressively, um, added 6.3% win probability prior to the snap, our best go call of the week. This actually, they didn't convert it. It ended up being an incomplete pass to uh, Tyler Higby, I believe, out of his reach. Um, so both attempts failed to convert, but they were both the right call prior to the snap, as we always talk, kind of process over the results there. But the, the final notable big play came in the final seconds of the third quarter. The, or the Rams got the ball back facing third and 12, third and long at their own 22, 23 seconds left in the third quarter. 
And Matt Stafford completes it, uh, gets a 59-yard completion to Cooper Cup down to Detroit 19, just completely flips, flips the field. And Cooper Cup, who's having just an absolute tear to start the season. Number one um, in uh, receiving DYAR through seven weeks. Just unbelievable. He's he's one guy that I had to have in fantasy, and but I got him in every league that I'm in, so I, I'm happy with him. And he's said so seems like every week he's scoring at least one touchdown. He's got two touchdowns in maybe three games this year, at least two that I know of. Um, but that play increased their win probability by 16.2 percent. It's a big play. It ended up being only the fifth most impactful play of the week. But they went on to to score the go-ahead touchdown, what ended up being the game-winning touchdown in that game. That that just I kind of watching that game, you expected, just kept waiting for that point that the Rams would just finally pull ahead, pull ahead, pull ahead. And it really didn't come until they got that touchdown and then got the uh, the field goal, I think, go late to put it away at nine points. But held it, held close, and uh, that was the number five most impactful play um, of the week so far through Sunday's games. And I will say that the Rams do not take a big DVOA hit, by the way, from this game, even though it's a close game against a bad opponent. First of all, the Lions are not the worst team in the league by our numbers. They're like 26th or something. Mm-hmm. Second of all, the fact is that in the, the plays, the, the general offense and defense plays, the Rams outplayed the Lions. Um, we don't count the onside kick for anything because it's what we call a non-predictive play. Like there, it's not that there's it's luck. I mean, there's absolutely skill involved in recovering onside kicks, right. but uh, there's so few of them that whether you recover one says nothing about whether you're going to cover another another one down the line. So we don't give mm-hmm. the Rams, uh, we don't give the Lions any credit for that. So overall, the Rams did have the better game, and they come out without taking a real hit to their rating. Are fake punts factored in at all? Is there a way they, they of- count as they count as regular passes and runs? Eventually, okay. I like to take them out and count them as special teams, but it would be kind of complicated. Yeah. All right, let's. You know, an interesting going forward on fourth down in this game, especially McVeigh doing it because McVeigh has been known as one of the more conservative coaches, but. Um, I think McVeigh actually going for fourth downs is part of the general like rise of aggressiveness in coaches this year. Do you have any numbers on, on that and the fact that you know coaches do seem to be going for it on fourth down more this year than ever before? Yeah, so we got a request. I think it was after week one. There were a lot of goes in week one um, from the media reaching out just asking, hey, it seems like people are being more aggressive. Did you notice in week one? Over one week, it's really hard to, to pull anything meaningful because it depends on how the games were that week. Like I said, this week. You know, you guys will see that none of our, you know, our best and worst decisions, the value of the win probability change isn't as big. Some of these, most of these decisions probably wouldn't show up most weeks, but over the first six weeks, haven't gotten a chance to pull it for this for, through week seven yet, but we have seen an uptick. Most weeks, the, the go rate has been higher this year than last year. And what that is, is we kind of, we filter out all of the obvious go decisions like we do every week, where if you're, you know, a fourth and short, fourth and medium, fourth down, whatever, with less than a minute left, you're trailing by five, you have to go for it. Those we pull out because you don't want to give give people credit for that. So what we've looked at, we found that in 2020 through six weeks, there were 114 of these good goes that, or that we deemed good goes. There have been 150 this year through six weeks. The overall, the total errors last year were at 521, only 486 this year. So that total opportunity um, is about a 10% difference in and go right there um, that we're seeing. So it's it, it meets the eye test of saying, hey, coaches are more aggressive this year than they have been. Just that overall trend, it seems like over the last few years, 
um, that teams you know have been trending up in the the aggressiveness and going forward on fourth down. So so that's what we've seen. We'll continue to track, and I'm sure it will not um, or it will continue to be more the same as we get throughout the rest of the season. And, and yeah, it's really positive. Beyond. It's a really positive turn of events. I think uh, we won. I think when it comes to fourth yeah. down, at this point, we can say maybe we didn't win quite as much as we think we should, but we've won. Like we've won the argument. Uh, let's talk about impactful plays of week seven. Uh, we just hit the fifth most impactful play, which was the Cooper Cup, the big Cooper Cup catch. Now let's talk about four more of the most impactful plays of the week, which uh, came in at number four. Yeah, number four was the game last night, just that downpour out in Santa Clara. 49ers started this game off really well. Opening drive looked really good, and then kind of offense fell apart from, from that point forward. Uh, 49ers were down one at this point, about five minutes left in the third quarter, third and five at their own 41, trying to, to make something happen. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is sacked, fumbles, recovered by Indianapolis at San Francisco 33, setting them up in really good field position. Excuse me. I think at this point they went on to score uh, a touchdown, went up by eight points. But this play cost the 49ers 16.6% win probability. So that was a big turning point, took them from favorites at 58% to win down to 42%. Uh, so completely flipped the game there. Um, number three was Falcons and Dolphins. This was at the end of the game. Falcons are down one, but they're at the Miami 16, third and two, just trying to, to run the clock out. They want to get a first down, but don't want to score a touchdown. Uh, that way Miami can't even get the ball back with a chance to, um, to win the game. So Cordero Patterson takes it, gets three yards, just one more than they needed, goes down. And uh, this increased their win probability by 20.6 from 73 up to 94. Uh, the model knows they can basically run down the clock. Miami had only one timeout, I think. So Atlanta could run it down as far as they want. A high probability uh, field goal for a, a really good kicker at Young Waifu. They ended up winning that one. So 20.6 at number three. Number two was perhaps the play of the entire week in the NFL, if not one of the best. Um, the Bengals, it was the pass. It was a, this was third and two, just like the Falcons one at their own 18. Joe Burrow hit Jamar Chase on that short pass. He broke a couple tackles, or Baltimore missed a couple tackles. They should have had him down, and he took it 82 yards to put the Bengals up. Uh, they went up 10 after that touchdown, an extra point. That play, the touchdown was a 24.3 percent increase. The Bengals were just slightly favored to win at that point. They had a three point lead, six minutes left in the third quarter. They were at 51.3. This took them up to 75.5 uh, or 75.6. So over over three quarters uh, of the time they win the game after that point. Chase, and number is the, one, Chase is third in receiving DYAR this year, and he is on pace to break the all-time rookie record, which is 431 by Michael Thomas, followed by 428 by Randy Moss. And uh, Chase is on pace to beat both of them. Wow. How is, I know you mentioned Cooper Cup number one. Is he on a, a record pace right now, or is he just very, very good? Just very, very good. Very good. Cool. Yeah, Jamar Chase, and that connection with him and Joe Burrow is just unbelievable to watch. You had all the talk about the drops in the preseason on Chase, and he kind of said, yeah, I'll be fine, fine, whatever. And here you go. So it's fun to watch. Yeah, that was the number two most impactful. Just a, a pretty awesome play there for the Bengals there. There. Top of the division right now. So having some fun in Cincinnati. And then number one, going back to that Dolphins-Falcons game, this was – I'm pretty sure this was the interception that was just an absolutely terrible decision and passed by Tua. Right uh, into the hands of the linebacker, Olakun. Yeah, just a couple yards <laughs> yards from where they were. But 
facing, you know, down six, their first and 10 at the Atlanta 32, driving down. Aside from that, I didn't really see this game. Numbers-wise, Tua had a pretty good game. I think just under 300 yards, four touchdowns. He scored the, the go-ahead touchdown late. Um, but in this situation, it, it, he kind of it's the two really score. crushed their chances, taking them from 46% down to 17.2 to 28.8% drop, which was the most impactful of the week uh, with that, that interception. The Tua story is that he has reasonable numbers, but he makes a couple of throws and decisions that are so bad that you wonder how on earth he could ever be a successful starting quarterback in the NFL. And this game was yep. just the Tua, whole Tua experience in miniature. Uh, this was my pick of the week, by the way, and it did cover. <laughs> Miami lost by two, and Atlanta was favored by two and a half. So very narrowly, it did cover for the Dolphins, but uh, they've lost every game since week one. Yeah, and speaking of, of two of there, it kind of reminds me, it's different, but every time I watch, you know, see the Eagles and Jalen Hurts, it's saw a, a tweet or something this morning talking about fantasy-wise. You know, he's the only quarterback, I think, to score 20-plus, but they said he could go into the fourth quarter with negative six, negative six points or negative two points, whatever it is. You know he's going to get at least 20. It's like – He's, He's got all those fourth down stats. Yep. Yes. So that one is interesting watching watching the Eagles play too. Sorry, Matt. I know you're on here, but apologize for that. The the Eagles hate. <laughs> all right. Before we do our five best play calls of the week, don't forget to rate us five stars. Hey, that's all fives. Leave us a review. Subscribe to all football outsiders content on your favorite podcast app or on YouTube. Or on Twitch, like make sure that you uh, subscribe. Uh, Todd Singer says, can the models incorporate kicking a punt return back into your own end zone for a touchback? I, <laughs> I don't think I don't think the models are that granular. No, but that was a really strange. <laughs> I don't even know. Has that ever even happened? Because if it's happened, it's in the data set. But I don't think. I don't know sure. if a data set would say, by the way, it would just say muffed. Uh, you have a muffed punt that turns into a touchback roughly once every two or three years, but I don't know how many of those were kicked backwards by the return man the way they were last night. Um, oh, that right. was the San Francisco, wasn't it? What? That yeah, was the was San Francisco game. What? I Brandon forgot about I that one. Last night, yep. yep. All right, top five uh, decisions in terms of a positive impact on win probability. Yeah, starting number five, we talked about this one a minute ago. Um, the Lions, Dan Campbell is staying aggressive. You know, really glad to see this, though. I know we talked about this, but just another note that he got kind of took a lot of flack earlier, still has, and about being too aggressive. Um, it hasn't seemed to, to bother him getting to his head because he's staying aggressive, knowing, you know, it gives his team the best chance to win. And this was one, again, they were trailing by one, fourth and one, which is pretty much always a go. Um, in the model, not always, but but most of the time, you're you're favored to pick up that one yard. This was at the Rams 18. It was a 3.9% gain in pre-snap win probability. Didn't get it, as we said. They sent Swift up the middle again. Did not convert, but that was good for number five. Number four is uh, John Harbaugh, who shows up. Hasn't been on here as much this year, it seems like. But they were trailing by 10, fourth and one at their own 29 early in the fourth quarter. This is one we kind of debated earlier too on. Is this one of those obvious ones? But with pretty much a full quarter to play, I think there are a lot of coaches who would punt here. Yes, a um, lot of, especially in the olden days, would have punted there. No question. Yeah, it, 
And, it, and we talked earlier too, saying, you know, you got Lamar Jackson, you don't want to give him a short field, but we, you know, using football outsiders, we looked up and saying, you know, Cincinnati had the fifth best defense coming into this game. They were 13th in the red zone. Um, not great, but not terrible. But if you don't get that, it's not a given that, um, that they're going to, going to score. Oh, sorry. This was uh, the Ravens. That was a different play. Anyway, the Ravens, they, they went for it and converted. And this was a 4.3% increase in pre-snap win probability. I think we covered that Bengals one later. Um, but number three under the Giants, Joe Judge, a guy who we've hammered on. Pretty much everyone has hammered on him for his decision-making. This time he made a good decision, down three to nothing. This one, I don't think there's really any coach that isn't going to do it at this point in, in time. Fourth and goal at the one. It's early, early in the game, 42 seconds left in the first quarter. Chooses to go for it. They don't convert but they increased their pre-snap win probability by 5.1% on this one. And interestingly enough, Mitchell, they didn't convert three plays later, four plays later, whatever it is. It's kind of one of those best case scenarios. They forced a safety. So they were able, they got two points, got the ball back, were able to get the field goal and, and got up to that baseball score of, of five to three there for a while. But the right decision to go for it didn't work out, but they had kind of a best case scenario in the end to able to get the safety. The number two is Frank Reich, a guy we see on this list a lot. We'll actually see him on our worst decisions as well. They ended up getting the win, but this one was fourth and one at the San Francisco 49, just across midfield, third quarter, 11 and a half minutes left. So still a lot of time. They chose to go for it. This was a 5.3% increase in win probability prior to the snap. Jonathan Taylor picked it up. There was almost a, a bad outcome here, fumbled, but was recovered by his teammate, luckily for them. Uh, number two, and then number one, we mentioned as well, Sean McVay, a guy that has been pretty conservative. You know, he's kind of around the league. It seems like a lot of people talk about him as being aggressive and innovator. But when you really look at the numbers, a few years ago, he was one of the bottom five, I think, he's in our innovative, rankings. But he's not aggressive. Right. And I think people want to put those two things together and kind of use those together. Or they just assume they just think that he's aggressive because he'll go for it on one fourth down. But this one was uh, was a good one. Fourth and one, Detroit 46. Um, wish that we could see him do this against better opponents. Um, we were talking on our podcast earlier as well, kind of surprising to or wondering if he would do this if it was against the Cardinals or, you know, another quality opponent versus the Lions, where even though it was a close game, they should still still win it eventually and uh, chose to go for it. They didn't convert, but it was a 6.3% increase in win probability prior to the snap. I will point out the number two best coaching decision by Reich. That was also the play where Kyle Shanahan threw a very strange challenge flag that everyone mm. felt like the fumble recovery by Indianapolis was completely obvious, and he blew a timeout that they might have needed later. Yeah, I have not. The commentator said the same thing, and I was trying to figure out if there was something that I missed on the play because he clearly got the yardage. It was clearly recovered by his teammates. So, yeah, that was very confusing. Uh, Reuter NFL says, just did a quick search versus PV via PFR. The percent of fourth down plays that are pass or rush instead of punt or field goal has gone from 17.6% in 2017 to 30.8% so far this year. So it is definitely up, including up from last year when it was at 28.7%. Yeah. Thanks for those numbers. That definitely also helps show that the aggressiveness is up, but nobody's perfect. So let's talk about uh, the decisions that coaches had that had the most negative impact on the game in terms of win probability. 
Yeah, our number five comes in from uh, Thursday, which seems like forever ago. But the Broncos, uh, the Browns had that opening drive touchdown. They went down the field, looked great on that first drive. Dearness Johnson had an awesome night in his first NFL start. Um, but on the flip side, the Broncos got the ball, quickly got into a fourth and one at their own 34. This is one that that we've talked about on this this stream. You know, pretty much every week it seems like it comes up. These next two or three were, are similar situations. Early in the game, you know, you're an underdog. You're already down seven to nothing. Fourth and one, your own 34. Your chances of getting that, you know, are 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 pretty high. Um, so there's really not much more to say on that one. We've kind of covered it quite a bit over the last few weeks. Again, coming in at number four, well, we've got a tie for number three. The first one is the Dolphins. Brian Flores down by six to the Falcons. It was fourth and two on their own 20. Similar thing. This was the very last play of the third quarter, one second left. But you've got an Atlanta defense. You mentioned it, Aaron, that are, you know, the, the Lions were not the worst team in the league. Atlanta was coming into this game. I believe they were dead last. Their defense was 29th, 30th. Maybe their offense, I think, was last or 31st. So even though the Dolphins weren't much better, you're going against the worst worst team in the league overall. So that's just kind of, at this point, should be a no-brainer. Uh, fourth and two, so your odds of getting it aren't as high as fourth and one, but you're still over 50% to to convert that, at least expected, you know, for an average NFL team. And then the, the tie for three here is the Bengals one I was talking about earlier. So fourth and one on their own 34. This one is, a you know, not as indicative of the coach per se, because Zach Taylor has actually been really good this year on fourth downs, especially in his own territory. He's had a couple, I think, inside his own 30 that he's gone for. Um, one he converted, one he did not. He may have had another one or two of those, but he's been surprisingly one of the more aggressive this year, one of the more aggressive coaches we've seen. And this was one, though, where he didn't go for it. Cost them a 2.6% pre-snap win probability. The Dolphins was the same. I don't know if I mentioned the Broncos was 2.4. So number five was 2.4. And then the two tie for number three was 2.6. And as I was getting into on the other play, I got ahead of myself. Baltimore, the Bengals had the number five defense. So you give Lamar a short field, but they've had a very good defense through six weeks uh, coming into this game. Their red zone defense, uh, I think, was 13th through the, through six weeks. So not terrible, not great, but it's not a given that Baltimore is going to score um, that one. It's still early in the game. They're just a few minutes into the second quarter. And, again, you're just expected to pick up that one yard much more often than you're not. I think mostly it's close to, like, two out of three you're expected to convert there. On to number two is Matt Rule, who's a guy that is just – you never know what you're going to get from him. The open, I think it was his opening drive. They had a fourth and one at their own 36. He went for it. They converted. It was an awesome play. But then you come back later, they're down only two. It's five to three halfway through the third quarter. Fourth and two at their own 41. So five yards further. Low scoring game. You know you got to score some points. Um, get down the field. But he chose to punt. It was a 3% loss in pre-snap win probability. So just kind of confusing for him. Never know what he's going to do when it comes to fourth downs. And then he had the one earlier where he punted, I think from like the 35, his opponents, 35 or 36. That was just kind of a head scratcher. So not surprised to see him on here, but it's never a surprise to see him on the best decisions either. So we'll kind of see how he, if he kind of creates his own identity going forward, chooses to do one or the other, but not really expecting it based on what we've seen the last couple of years from, or this year and last year from him. The number one is who we mentioned earlier, Frank Reich shows up on our best decisions also has our number one worst. So this is kind of a not really confusing one, but up one, 
little, little less than halfway through the third quarter, a fourth and fourth, the San Francisco 40. Goes out, pulls the old, we're going to pretend to try it. We're going to try and draw them off sides. Instead of using a timeout, at least, took the delay a game. But this one, we like the go for it over the punt. We even like the field goal over the punt. But that's not really – we're not able to specifically account for the fact that it's a, basically a monsoon out in California. There's no specific input for that. We got asked that on Twitter last night. We have got asked that before. But the model is trained on data that encompasses all types of weather. So it is included in our play-by-play um, as far as games in high winds, games in a lot of rain, games in a lot of snow. Um, but there is no direct input for that. But still, this was a, a 3.1% win probability decrease versus going for it by choosing to punt. Taking that delay a game, we kind of count that as a punt because you had no intention of going for it. So we counted it to fourth and four instead of the fourth and nine. So, Yeah. Remember, you can find all of this stuff at the edgesports.com top fives uh, section in the uh, editorial section at edgesports.com. That's edjsports.com. And don't forget to read Frank Frigo's Risky Business column, more about Dan Campbell's outstanding play-calling effort against the Rams, even though they lost. All right, let's talk very quickly about the Monday Night Football. Uh, the Saints are currently minus four over the Seahawks with uh, Geno Smith. So far, it's been a huge drop-off. Russell Wilson with 52% passing DVOA. Uh, when Seattle having when Wilson is the quarterback versus minus two percent when Smith is the quarterback, uh, what are your thoughts about this game there, uh, Ian? Yeah, so this one we've got kind of surprising. It's minus four right now, I think, in the market in favor of New Orleans. We've got this close to a pick 'em. Um, partly in you know, one thing we talked about earlier is home field advantage. We still have that kind of baked in a fairly significant amount of a couple points there, two to three. So we actually think this is probably closer to to um, closer to the line in the market, but we still like Seattle just slightly against the spread. It would probably be, you know, not even counting home field advantage. But right now we've got it at about a pick them. So to push or to cover that minus or plus four, we've got it about 60% for Seattle. The over under, we actually like the over in this one. Uh, the, the market total is 42 points. We've got it at 46. And one thing I was looking at just based on their past schedule even with Geno Smith last week, the, it took overtime, but Seattle went over 42 points. They went over 42 points in that game that he came in against L.A. All their other games have gone over 42. And New Orleans has had all their games go over 42 points except for their first two of the season, which was a blowout loss and a blowout victory. So we like the over in this one. And looking at the percentages on that, at least, um, said 42. We expect this game to reach 42 points in 65% of our simulation so pretty close here um we're not pretty we like the the over in almost two-thirds of our simulations and it's interesting i have the opposite of you i have the saints football outsiders picks like the saints our projected line is something like minus six so uh even though we're corporate brothers we're going to go against yeah. each other on this one you've got the hawks i've got the saints um yeah last week i was one for two it, i went against edge and the uh, would have taken the Bills, the Titans covered and won, but the, the over did hit. And this week, I would probably go the same and would take the Saints, to be honest. Um, but you like I the over. Kind of, and the over as well, yep. 
All right, that about does it for the show for Monday. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget, we are live streaming on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook every weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, tomorrow, it will be Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen talking about fantasy football. Wednesday, it'll be me and Mike Tanier along with Cale Clinton. And Thursday, it will be me and Tanier along with Brian Knowles. Uh, you can find all these shows after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. So please subscribe to the shows. Don't forget, you can get FO Plus with all of our data analysis and fantasy tools for $4.99 a month. Great value that will be helpful throughout the remainder of the season, especially for fantasy players needing lineup recommendations. Thank you to Ian O'Connor from Edge Sports for joining me. And we will see you all tomorrow with Scott and Derek, 1 p.m. Eastern. Enjoy the Saints and the Seahawks tonight, folks.